0: Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Let's review our memory verse. Uh, Let's go back uh, to uh, Isaiah chapter 55. This is a verse we're working on this summer, and it's uh, here on the screen, but try to, to say it as much as you can without looking here. So let's say it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Did I say that right? Nor are your ways my way. Try again. This is how I learn them. Okay, here we go. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, and so God knows what's best. His ways are best. His ways are always perfect. And so we need to uh, acknowledge that our ways don't match His. So let's go to the next uh, slide there and let's review what we're saying this summer. Here we go. Jesus' way is the only way to live God's way, which is the best way. It's not naturally my way, but I choose today to exchange my way for Jesus' way. Father, we do come before you and we ask as we open your word here that your spirit would take this and, and uh, help us, Lord, to discern what's really going de- on deep down inside of us, that we might understand and respond in ways that would honor you. And we know that when we honor you, it brings blessing into our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, right now, I have the privilege of, um, for this week, having see, of course, my wife lives at my house. I have four of my children with us this week. Uh, I have one daughter-in-law with us, and I have six of our grandchildren with us this week. So there's 12 of us in the house. And it's, it's fun, it's a blessing, a challenge sometimes, but it's good. But what, what I've noticed is, in, not so much now, but just in the last six months here or so, that three- and four-year-olds... Um, They have this one-word question that they learn. Oh, Oh, you know it. (laughs) That's right. Why? You know. So I'm doing something in the house, maybe moving something, and why? Why are you doing that? Oh, see, I'm being the teacher kind. So I give them an explanation. Well, we're doing this because of this and this, and we do it this way because this is. And and. then why? They're right. You guys know. And so, oh, that's a cool, they like my answer, so I give them another one, explain all that. You know, why? And the doctor like why? And why? And why? And it's finally, go ask your grandma. <laughs> you know? Uh, so we, I, we've all experienced this. It's obvious from uh, your responses here today. Um, but I think the reality is, is, you know, the why is really a good question. It really is a good question. And it's one that we need to ask about a lot of things, and particularly, one of the things that we need to do is be asking, why do I do the things I do? Why do I do the things I do the way I do? And when we're talking about why I do what I do or why I do the way, when we're talking about that, we're really talking about our motives, aren't we? What What are our motives? And it's not something we think about a lot. At least we don't focus in on it a lot. But it's really important and really valuable for us to do. Why is important? I mean, have you ever had someone who normally doesn't pay attention to you? Who normally doesn't spend much time talking to you? Doesn't show much interest in you and all of a sudden they start acting like they're your best friend? You ever experienced something like that? And what one-word question comes to your mind? Why? What are the motives here? Because, see, we, we understand that, that the motives really matter. Well, God has something to say about this in our, in our sermon series here this morning. Let's, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And, and I forgot, page number should be up here. Page 1116 is where we'll start today. Page 1116. Now, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked about how to experience the blessing of God, that we are uh, salt of the earth and light of the world, that we, people need to see how we live for God so they can know Him. Uh, we've talked about how important the, the, what God has given us in His Word is, that the issues of murder, uh, being really about anger and adultery, really being about lust, uh, we talked about saying what we mean and meaning what we say and, and going the second mile uh, to demonstrate the love of Christ and then how we should respond to our enemies and that, that we need to have our hearts filled with the love of Christ, that that needs to govern us. And that brings us here to chapter six. Jesus continues speaking here to his disciples with others listening in. He says, take heed. Take heed means What? Look out. Be careful. Watch out. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Now, we're not really quite sure uh, what is meant by that, but we get the idea, it's calling attention to yourself. Some um, scholars have said that they, they have reason to believe that some people, would, they would come, the, um, in the temple they had these like inverted trumpet-shaped things made out of some sort of metal, uh, probably brass, and um, this is where people would put in their money for the poor, okay? So you wanna give some money to the poor, that's where it went. Well, what happens if you throw a coin into a metal object? Yeah, ding. Okay, I like that. So, uh, that's right. And what some people would do, someone, you know, the rich people who really wanted to make a show of something, they'd come with a bag of money. And as they would come up, they'd have somebody get everybody's attention, whether by blowing a trumpet or by getting everybody's attention, and then, ring, all that, okay? And so Jesus is saying, when you give, don't give like that. Don't Don't give to get the attention of others. And then he says this. He says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They got what they were looking for. Other people noticed. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Okay, the idea of... of, not doing things to be seen by others. And this is where really the point. Is because go back over to chapter 5 and verse 16 for a moment. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he's saying live in such a way that people can see how you live. And over here he's saying don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. What's going on here? Well, The point he's trying to make over here is why are you doing what you're doing? It doesn't, if you do something good and somebody sees it, that's not a problem. If you do something good because you want someone to see it, that's a problem. And if you have even the hint of that kind of struggle, you make a point to keep it secret. You do your best. Not to give in to that. So that's what he's saying. But he says, So you do this, if nobody else sees it, he says, God sees it. Do you know that's a very much an awakening factor spiritually for people when they finally understand that God sees everything? He sees everything, he sees what nobody else sees. Now, in this situation, that's comforting but lots of other situations in life, that's kind of frightening, isn't it? That God sees. God knows it all. And he knows not just what you do. He knows what's going on in here, in your head. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows it all. But so he's saying here that if you're going to do something good, don't do it to be seen by others. You don't worry about whether anybody else ever sees and notice it. You don't worry about whether you're going to get anything back from this. He says, because God sees and god will reward let's continue and when you pray you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of streets that they may be seen by men same idea right going out and standing this is foreign to us right we don't see this very much but it would be like this it would be like if um, For some reason, all of a sudden, I came out here on Sunday morning and stood out right on the porch and started praying as all of you walk in. Because I want you to see me praying. I sure hope God doesn't leave me to do that next week (laughs) now. But do you understand what I'm saying? That's what's going on. He says, don't be that way. He says that they may be seen by men. Again, there's that point. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And what was their reward? They have been seen by men. That's it. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Same idea as before. God sees. God knows. God will honor you when you do what He wants you to do And you do it for the right reasons. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So why are they saying their prayers? Because they're going to say so many prayers, so much prayer, say it so many times that God's going to be on the hook and has to do what I want him to do. And he says, no, no, we don't pray that way. Verse 8, therefore do not be like them, For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So he's not saying don't ask. He said just ask, get to the point. So let's continue. This is where he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. And he gives us this prayer, uh, which uh, has been called the Lord's Prayer. In certain uh, religious backgrounds, it's called the Our Father Prayer. Um, But we need to understand, Jesus is not telling us, giving us pray these words, exactly. He says, here's how you pray. Not with keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, isn't it amazing? I don't know if it's amazing to you as we look at this, what we call the Lord's Prayer here, that some religions have taken this and they repeat it over and over and over and over and over and over again when right up in verse 7, Jesus said, don't repeat them over and over and over and over and over again. All right? Well, so let's read how he says this. And by the way, let me back up one more thing. This idea of praying with many words, if I can pray with many words, who does that make prayer about? Me. It's about what I do and what I say and how many times I say it and how much emotion I put in it. And Jesus says, now let's pray like this. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Who's this prayer about? God in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who is this prayer about? Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread. We need something and we're asking you. We acknowledge that you're the one who takes care of us. This prayer is about God. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, we need your forgiveness. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours. is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, that's it. Straightforward, to the point. And the prayer is focused on God. It's about Him. And even when it's about us, it's connecting with Him. This is not about being seen by anybody else, right? What's our motive in prayer? So Jesus challenges us about this. And he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let's just uh, make sure we don't have any misunderstanding here about this. Uh, when he talks about forgiving us our trespasses, let's back up for just a moment. Uh, let's talk about the gospel, The gospel is that God, the Son, the Son of God, came to earth, became a man, right? Jesus, the Christmas story, becoming a man. He lives this life perfectly sinless, um, fulfilling the law. And then he is wrongfully accused and hung on a cross and crucified. And that's, you know, that's a terrible thing. But the Bible says that when he did that, that God took every sin, the guilt, the penalty for every sin, My sins, your sins, the sins of the whole world, and somehow place them on Christ as He hung there on the cross. Jesus died paying the penalty for every sin that ever had been committed and every sin that ever would be committed. Now, when we trust Christ as Savior, when we realize, wow, I have sinned against God and I I need to trust Christ as my Savior, and, and when I do that, how many of my sins are forgiven? How many? Just the ones I've already committed? No, even the ones that are still being committed, which hopefully are fewer and fewer and fewer. But all of them. But now, So what's, what's God mean here when He says, now, hey, if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive. I thought He already did forgive. He did already forgive. This idea of forgiveness is this reestablishing of this open, intimate fellowship. Now, If you're a young person today, you've probably experienced this. And if you're a parent, you've experienced it with your child. So let's just think about this. How does this work when your child, you know, you've you've instructed them, they know it, and one day they decide to be openly rebellious to you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. How's the relationship? Hey, come on, let's sit down and have some ice cream and watch a movie. No, there's something in between, isn't it? The child is not in a hurry to come and spend time with you and you're frustrated trying to figure out how to deal with this. Well now God thankfully doesn't get frustrated and worry about how to deal with it. He knows. But my point is this. When we say to God I want your forgiveness but I want it on my terms. I'm going to do this my way. I'm not going to forgive them but I want you to forgive me. We have just stuck something in the middle of that relationship. And we don't feel free and open with him. We don't have experienced that closeness. And so God says, Well, how do you do? Forgive. And the idea is this you can't pray to God about something at the same time you're unsurrendered to God about something. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Okay? So again, he's talking about so we can't be praying for our own things, our own way. We need to pray on God's terms. Let's continue. Moreover, when you fast, and by fast he means not eating, not taking in nourishment. And people would do this uh, to Set aside a time to really pray, to focus on God and what the, you know, He wants to do. And, and we can still do this today and, and focus in on the Lord, saying that God is more important than even eating here. Um, and it doesn't have to just be fast. It could be any spirit, anything you're doing spiritually to try to, to grow close to the Lord or accomplish His will. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Can you see it? Now, I don't know. Um, for whatever in life, you know, I could get busy and not eat. Anybody else like that? You get busy going, you don't eat. All right? But at least in the early years of our marriage, I, I don't know how it's worked, but if my wife missed a meal by an hour or two, it was bad. Okay? And so, because she would get a headache, yes it was. (laughs) She would get a headache, and and she's not like that so much now. Um, But what I'm trying to say is we we get the idea that when we are not eating, it affects us, doesn't it? It affects how we feel physically, which then oftentimes will even affect how we feel emotionally. So we understand this. But so what people would do, people who wanted to be seen by other people to be doing something spiritual, you know, to walk in. What's wrong with you today? I'm fasting for God. Right? That's what he's talking about. They want people to see and know. He says, "I surely I say to them, have their reward." And what's their reward? People have seen it. He says, "It's but you when you fast." anoint your head and wash your face, clean up, stand up, perk up, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So again, we are talking about why you do what you do. We see, Jesus shares a lot of information about charitable deeds. He talks about you know, how you're giving. He talks about how you pray and, and why you pray. And he talks about uh, the fasting. Like I said, we could apply that to even other spiritual activities. Lots of information there, but what I want you to see is this that his main point is not those things in this passage. His main point is the why. His main point is the motives. So let's address that issue in our own lives here today, the why we do what we do. And so let me me put this out here to you. Based on what Jesus says here, and as we go through the rest of the Bible we see it too, this is true. Why you do what you do matters more than what you do and how you do it. Why you do what you do matters more than what you do and how you do it. Because think about this, if your why is right, you will eventually get the what right and you will eventually get the how right. Why, because you want to. That's your motives. Your motives are right. Now, does that mean if you do something for the wrong, uh, you do the wrong thing for the right reason, that it's okay? Oh, that got quiet, and our faces got, hmm. So if I go against what God says, but I did it for right reasons, that makes it okay? No, it doesn't. One of the things we have to teach our children, you still have to do what's right. Right? Okay? If you do what's wrong for the right reason, it's still wrong. Think about this. If you decide, hey, man, I really wish I could give the missions. And by the way, let me say this to you, folks. I don't know what's happened here, but our missions offerings have gone down again significantly, which means somebody hasn't given or isn't giving. I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. But if this continues, we will have to drop missionaries. But so you say, here's the deal. You know what? I really would like to give more money to missions. So huh, if I change a couple numbers on my income tax, I get a lot more money back. And certainly, that money's better spent for missions than for the U.S. government. You agree with me about that? (laughs) But you can't do that, can you? It's not right. Still not right, even if your motives are right. But here's the deal, when you do what's wrong, you have the right motives, but you do what's wrong, Uh, You'll admit it when you see it. You'll uh, learn from it and you will do better because in your heart you want to get it right because your motives are right. Now, let's get this then. If your why is wrong, your what and how will always be wrong even when they're right. Man, He's speaking confusing things today. If your why is wrong, if your motive is wrong, what you do and how you do it will always be wrong, even if they are the right things. Because they undermine the whole thing. And so here's, here's what I want you to, to, to leave with today, and we'll repeat a few times. Motives matter most. Can you say that with me? Motives matter most. That's right. And you know this is true from experience. Think about this. When, when politicians who over the years you have observed, and by the way, there are some politicians who love God, there are politicians who are principled people and sometimes you may not even disagree agree with them, but they're good and principled people. But we also all know politicians that we are convinced they're in it for the power, right? They're in it for the position. They're in it for whatever reasons. And then all of a sudden they start talking to you about this new program that they have that is going to help you. what is going to eventually determine the outcome of that program, whether it's actually a good thing or not? It's what are their motives. What's really going on under the surface? What do you think? Which is it? Is it what they're saying, or is it their true motives? Ding, 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 right answer. Motives matter most. And because this is true, we see in our passage here today three things. Your motives rule you. What's the, the why in your heart is what's going to rule your life. Secondly, the wrong motives lead to ruin. And third, right motives bring reward. So let's take a look at these three here from our passage. First one is your motives rule you. Do you understand this? When we read this this morning, that every subject in this passage referenced motives, didn't it? Every subject in this passage said why it talks about why you are doing it. Why is that? Because there is always a reason why. There's always a reason why you do charitable deeds, a reason why you give, a reason why you pray, a reason why you fast or do other spiritual activities. And those motives reside in the heart, don't they? They come from the heart. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 23 says that, that we need to guard our hearts with all diligence. He says, because out of it, out of your heart, come all the issues of life, including your motives. And so if all the issues of your life are affected by what's going on in your heart, which includes your motives, that means your whole life is affected by your motives. The why affects everything else. What's really in your heart eventually shows up in your life. What's in your heart shows up in your words eventually, your attitudes and actions. You might be able to fool people for a while, but eventually it comes out. And I say this to you, you have never made a decision in life that was not governed by your motives. You've never made a decision that was not governed by your motives. When I think about this. You do something and somebody says, and you ask, them, ask a person, why, why did you do that? And they go, oh, no reason. You believe it? Now, you know there was a reason, don't you? There was a motive. Every relationship, all of your business decisions, every work decision, your money decisions, on and on, are controlled by your motives. And yet far too often we don't even think about our motives. See, that needs to change. You and I need to become aware. We need to learn to pay attention to our motives. Because our motives rule us. They affect everything. Everything. And so, what are the three words we say? Motives matter most. Say that with me. Motives matter most. That's right. Second thing we see in our passage here wrong motives lead to ruin. Wrong motives lead to ruin. And what we, when we talk about wrong motives, what are we talking about? Well, we see here in our passage things like trying to impress others. That's why we're doing something. Uh, or pride. Or, or we, need to, we want to feel valuable, and so we do things. We want to feel loved, and so we do things. Or maybe we desire to hurt somebody, so we do things. Or we're angry, and we do things. Or we're afraid, and we do things. But wrong motives lead to ruin. And the very first thing we say, you see it's it's right up there in chapter 6 verse 1, the very first verse we read. He says, "Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven." What I want you to see is this, that God separates himself from what you're doing when you have wrong motives. No reward from your father in heaven. Your heart is not right. And in, in Acts chapter eight, talking to a man, he said, your heart is not right in the sight of God. Pray God, the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So God separates himself from our wrong motives and the things that we do as a result of them. It's like a parent. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place. I, I think my father reached this place with me. And but sometimes you find just, the parent just says, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. And you know what's going to happen in the child's life and and they're going to have to learn it the hard way. Well, see, this is when our motives are wrong and if we consistently have wrong motives, this is what God has to do with us. Okay, go ahead. And I want you to know that that is a terrible place to be. That is a terrible, terrible place to be. You know, hell is going to be marked by this Lack of awareness of God's presence. People who are in hell, it's like their God is gone to them. Now we know he's still there, but you understand what I mean? It's terror. So why do you want to live your life in such a way that God's gonna say, well, all right, go ahead. It's a terrible place to be. So you need to address your motives to avoid that. The second thing he tells us here is that you become a hypocrite. You become a fake. That's over here in in, uh, verse 16, moreover when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. A fake. (laughs) Now, let's just real quick see if I can clear up a a potential misunderstanding about what it means to be a hypocrite. Sometimes people say, well, I, I can't, if I don't feel like doing this but I do it anyway, that's hypocrisy. Well, that's not hypocrisy. Because if you're thinking, you know, this is the right thing to do, this is the right thing to do, I don't feel like doing it, but it's the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it. That's the right motive, what you're saying is the right thing to do is the right thing to do whether I feel like it or not. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you intend to appear one way to people when it's not really the way you are. Right? You get that? And when you have the the wrong motives, you are at great risk of being a hypocrite. (laughs) Isn't that one of the worst things you can get called? You hypocrite. When you have wrong motives, you're at great risk of becoming a hypocrite, especially if your motives include trying to impress others or to be thought well of by others. And then another way this leads you to ruin is is what do you get out of it when your motives are wrong? (laughs) What do you get out of it? I mean, Jesus says here, these people got their reward, right? What was their reward? Oh, you want people to see you? Guess what? They saw you. That's it. Whatever you get out of it will be shallow and fleeting, glory from men, seen by men. Maybe you'll temporarily feel better about yourself. Uh, Other people will think you're spiritual, but the problem is there's no permanent solution to whatever issue it was you're trying to address. No permanent solution. You just got a more serious case of your sickness. A deeper hole to try to get out of. And so you need to learn to identify and avoid wrong motives because wrong motives lead you to ruin because they affect everything else in your life negatively. So what do we want to remind ourselves of today? Motives matter most. Say it with me. Motives matter most. Third thing that we see here, right motives bring reward. One thing is very clear from our passage God sees, doesn't he? God knows what your real motives are. No matter how many people you manage to fool or how long you fool them, you cannot fool God. He knows. Jeremiah 17, he says, I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I know. Luke 16, Jesus says, God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. Young people, can I talk to you for just a moment today? And this applies to everyone, but I just see that as young people, sometimes you are put in positions of great pressure trying to figure out how you fit in life, how you're supposed to interact with people, and you you really feel a great pressure about what people think about you. All those things, but I want you to understand this. When your motives are not right, but you're trying to put on the right outside, you may be able to fool your parents. Some of you are good at that. You might be able to fool your peers. But you cannot fool God. You do not fool God. And everybody, we need to remember that. Okay, right motives bring reward. And we will bring reward at the judgment seat of Christ. How many of you saw the, the, the presentation, the Bema with us? Yeah, we're going to stand before the Lord, aren't we? And our works are going to be evaluated by Him. For, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one's work will become clear of what sort it is. The motives will be revealed. And the Bible talks about what we end up with. It's like everything that we've done has been put in this fire, and, and the fire burns, and, and things that are, are were, well, I'll, I'll elaborate a minute. We have gold, uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble burns up. Gold, silver, precious stones don't burn up in the fire. But let's do a little speculating here, okay? Let's think about it this way. Precious stones, silver, gold. And I would just suggest a way of thinking about this, that precious stones are any action that you did for the right reason. Any action that you did for the right reason, your motives were right, okay? Silver is when you did the right thing with the right motives. Gold being you did the right thing the right way with the right motives. But do you notice that they all share one factor? Right motives. Right motives are required for God's reward. Not one of these rewards can be earned with the wrong motives because the wrong motives poison everything else. And without the right motives, it's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to be burned up. It's all going to be lost. Opportunities will be lost forever due to wrong motives. And you might say, yeah, Judgment Seat of Christ, yeah, that's out there somewhere, but I just, boy, can you put it in your heart that how long is this life going to seem in comparison to eternity? So your motives right now will matter forever. It does matter, and nothing will matter to you more in that day. But I've got some encouraging news for you. You don't have to wait until heaven to be rewarded for your right motives. God has built rewards into the system. Okay? In, in uh, uh, Psalm chapter 1, he says that those who, who take God's word and they love God and their hearts are right before God, he says, they will be like trees planted by the rivers of water that bring forth their fruit in its season. Their leaves won't wither. And he says, and whatever they do, you know the words? Will prosper. You'll receive reward because your motives are right and lead you to do the right things in the right way. And God will intervene on your behalf in the here and now when your motives are right. Uh, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to find people whose hearts are perfect and loyal toward Him. Their motives are right. It says He will show Himself strong in their lives but the motives have to be right. So what do we want to remember today? Say it with me. Motives matter most. And it will be worth it to get your motives right. You will be rewarded by God. So what do we do? What do we do about all of this? Well, we already said it today. We need to exchange our way for Jesus' way. Which means we need to begin to focus in on motives. We need to live with an awareness that my motives matter most. And I need to exchange my wrong motives for the right motives. And would you say that most of the time you already know what the right motives are? Most of the time you already know. But then you can look to God's Word to learn more and clarify what the right motives are a desire to to love God, a desire to honor God, a desire to please God. And you line yourself up with the Word of God, and and He'll reveal to you uh, what your motives should be. And really, it comes down to you just need to cry out to God. Because sometimes we lie to ourselves about our motives, we're in denial. And so Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see, see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to show you what's going on in your hearts. Deal with the things you already know and then ask God, please show me what needs to change. Where am I misguided here? Where am I doing the wrong thing? Where am I motivated by the wrong things? And ultimately, it's going to come down to this. The best way in the world to get your motives right is to start caring about God more than anything else. Because when He, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, when He matters more to you than anything else, that's going to shape your motives in the right way. And we'll want you to turn away from other motives. And of course, it all starts with personally knowing Jesus as Savior. And I talked earlier about this, the gospel, about recognizing our need and trusting Christ as Savior. You you need to make this decision. If you haven't, you have questions, please let us know. There's a way in the pew to respond to us and say you want help. Please let us just nail this decision down, of trusting Christ as Savior once and for all. And then when it comes to the Jesus way, remember, motives matter most. Can, can you imagine? What if, what if we all got really serious about our motives? And I, I thank God that I think most of you are fairly serious. But what if we really got serious about our motives? What if we, we were confident that we could trust each other's motives? Would that be a powerful testimony for Christ? Here's a bunch of people. You can trust their motives. Their motives are right. Their motives are good. You can trust these people. People will be drawn to our church. They will be drawn to Christ in us because we will be different in a good way, not some weird way. And people will get saved and have their motives changed in ways that matter forever. The Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in us and that's what we're about. Father, we come before you today and thank you that when you saved us, you do change our hearts. You give us that new uh, creation within us. And Lord, but we still believe so many things that aren't true and, and, and so many past habits and ways of living. We need your spirit to, to show us where our motives are not right. We need your spirit to encourage us and, and, and uh, uplift us in those areas where our motives are, are right already. We need you to work. We want you to be glorified in us. So please address our motives. And don't let up on us until we surrender to you in it. And I pray it in Jesus' name, Amen.